Welcome to the Steve Witt Podcast. Hey, Steve Witt here. Good to have you here today. We're going to have a great time together. We have some special guests. I think I've only had one guest on my podcast. Uh, that was my daughter because she was being touched by the Holy Spirit uniquely. I thought people would want to hear about it, and they did. They kind of blew it up. But today, I have with me uh, Bob and Erica Hazlett, both ministers in their own right, doing kind of different things that are tangentially joining together. You know, Erica rescues those that have been trafficked around the world and uh, raises up these homes to help care for these young people and get them situated, try to follow all the way through to their success and their blessing. And um, Bob is a strategic, practical, prophetic trainer, prophesying machine kind of guy. Does that describe it? Wow, that sounds good. I'm going to have to put that in my bio on my website. Yeah, yeah, I'll help you good, out with that. Thank you. And Erica, you're here too, right? I am. Okay, ready good. To, ready to have that, some good talks today. Yeah, Erica's especially endearing because part of her life was spent in Cleveland, where I'm from. So that kind of gives her some real bonus points here. You know, we love that when we've got some homegirls that are here and uh, supporting the the Clee, you know. So anyway, I want to ask them a few questions. They've been deeply involved in what God is doing around the world. They're connected with a lot of people that you you know, like uh, Mark Sharona, the great brain out of Florida, you know, and Bill Johnson and and uh, so many others that they're, were, Heidi Baker, we're all kind of connected in this grand little renewal family. It's a lot of fun. So I wanted to ask them, because they're keenly prophetic, they've been prophesying for 24 hours now over our church and different things that have happened there. I just want to ask them what, I mean, Obviously, something's going on. Most people have heard about Asbury, and they've heard about you know the bubbling up across the nation in different places, the uh, the gate down in Charlotte, and of course Jesus Image, amazing things, and and Bethel Redding, and and even here in Cleveland, we're seeing a bubbling up. And um, what do you think? What in the world is God doing? I'll just ask that nice broad question. That is a broad question, and and I think God's always doing a lot of things. I, I think one of the things God is doing is He responds to us. I, I, I'm a firm believer that heaven responds to earth, right? And uh, there's a hunger in the earth today. That hunger's been created perhaps because of the disruptions we've gone through, the deficits we've experienced because of it, but God always responds to hunger. So you think the pandemic was kind of a precursor to this? Yeah, I, I, I think that every time we create massive change in our environment, it opens us up to other change. And for me, the definition of revival is change. It, it, it gets us ready for change. It did for me. So yeah, change begets change. And I think when we went through such drastic changes, it, we become ripe for spiritual changes. And, and let's yeah. hope this is a massive spiritual change for our nation and the world. Well, I like what you said last night about... Um you know, what? what's next? And it's it's not like, hey, this is a brand new thing, you know, forget everything from the past, but there's a building upon that. Do you have anything you want to comment on that? Yeah, you know, we love, particularly in our tribe and prophetic kind of things, we love to quote like Isaiah 42, 43, behold, I'm doing a new thing, right? Yeah, right, right. And that, that word new is really intriguing to a lot of us. But if you look at the root of it, it's really just a renewed thing. Yes. Uh, it's it's reforming the old, it's restoring mm-hmm. the old. And, and so God always, 
he includes the old. In fact, he builds the new out of the old. And I think one of the new things God is doing is he's returning us back to our roots. What does ancient Christianity look like? What did the early church look like? What did, what was the ecclesia that Jesus said he would build uh, the church that the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against? And I think the new thing is found in, in exploring the old. And I, and I think we have a generation that's intrigued about their roots and wants to get back to an authentic expression of their faith. And I think that's a big thing that has happened out of this time. Yeah, and you know, there has been a kind of a shift in the past few years from the stats I'm reading and some of the articles I'm reading of young people going toward more stricter liturgical styled churches. Like there's there's a desire for some kind of deep, spiritual, mystic connection with God that, I don't know, sometimes they may not get kind of like that in the in the charismatic church. So how do we, how's this all coming together, do you think? Yeah, I think Erica, she spends, uh, has spent a lot of time with, in the Hollywood community in LA and worked with uh, the emerging generation and creative communities. I think she'd have a good perspective on that. Yeah. I think there's a lot of distrust with leaders, not just in the body of Christ, but with politicians, with leaders in our world who we question how they responded to the pandemic. We question how they're responding to some of these different issues that are on the table that um, seem to be so polarizing. And so I think when especially this generation that has grown up with so much excess and so much access, that can sometimes feel like so much freedom that I think that sometimes like really structured environments can then feel safe. And so when you think about a generation that's been on social media and electronics from the time they were one year years old, all of a sudden there's been this ability for them to have thought without any constraints and potentially without any core values. And so I think what's so important is that when people who have been raised in environments without core values come into safe structures that have core values that provide family and relationship, it provides context for them to become safe. And when you say, what do you feel like God's doing right now? One of the things that I feel like God is doing is that God is looking for the willing. And I feel like that's really important because just by the fact that you're listening to this podcast, I'd say that means on a level you're willing. Yeah. But one of the things that I think that we need to ask ourselves is how do I get more willing? And I think that one of the things that we need to know is a key to being willing is surrender. And I think that's really this place, it's it's humility, it's genuine humility where we say, God, I'm willing to lay this down. I'm willing to lay down my heart's desires. I'm willing to lay down what I worked for, my efforts. And when we put that in context of the pandemic, that so many of these things that, that we started building in our lives, that we started working towards, that we had hopes, that we put real effort, we, we laid down carefully laid plans, and then they all got kind of axed. Yes, they did. And so I feel like that there's this place of going back and saying, God, I'm willing to trust you with the ashes. I'm willing to trust you with the plans that I have that are no longer working in this 2023 post-pandemic place. And I feel like that's the place of the surrendered heart. That's the place of the willing heart. And that's the place where I feel like we become so open that it becomes really easy for God to move, to talk to us, to speak to us, and to give us new plans. So the surrendered heart is more 
living through Christ rather than, I know we all have like bucket lists and things we want to do in this temporal realm that we live in. So where where is the line on that, the surrender of all? Is it is it yielding everything to Christ, like everything in our lives and what we experience? I think it's yielding everything, but I also think that there's this place where we're so in love with Jesus, where we say, Jesus, I know that your thoughts and your plans are greater than my thoughts and plans. And so God, blow my mind. Show me what could be more incredible that you could do with my life than ever I could ever plan for myself. And so it's not even surrendering the bucket list. It's taking the bucket list and going, Jesus, here's the bucket list. Yeah, now make right. it phenomenal. Like blow the bucket list up. Do that. And let me see what else you can do. So there's nothing wrong with personal desires and dreams and, and things like that. I think personal desires are what God works through. You, you know, the Bible says the steps of a righteous man, righteous woman are ordered of the Lord, and he, she delighteth in that way. So delight is part of the guidance system uh, of the Spirit. What, what delights God's heart, what delights our heart. And I think the surrendered life looks different for different people, and it gets it takes people different things to get to that place of surrender. Uh, sometimes surrender comes whenever I see how much God loves me and how much he has a plan for me. So I surrender to him because I trust him. Other times surrender looks like I've lost what I expected. Right. So now I have to put my trust in what I don't see or what I don't understand. And I think surrender is, it's both of those things. And we can live in the tension that surrender is delight and surrender is a sense of deficit that creates a hunger in us. Um, and I think this generation experiences both because they've had so much and they have the potential for so much, but yet in some sense, it's left them empty. So they're coming to a place, I think, where faith is the missing ingredient to Beautiful. the culture. Yeah, you know, I've heard people call it like the great exchange of heaven <clears throat> where you take this was where my life was going. It's really true repentance. My life was going this direction. These were my dreams, my thoughts. And I tell people, sometimes your dream might become a nightmare. You know, you're better off just to kind of give it to the Lord. He's going to give you because he did give you those insights or those desires or whatever. He'll, like Erica said, he'll go way beyond that. So it's interesting how the Spirit of God, again, it's not something totally new. It's the Lord coming in and renewing what's already in your heart. Uh what do you see? Well, let me ask you this first, uh, because you talk a lot about Reformation, Bob. And uh, what's the difference between, you know, the, the R's here, revival, Reformation, Renaissance? Well, I, I know my distinction. It may not be, you know, the ultimate distinction, and it may not be somebody else's definition. But when I think of revival, I think of bringing back to life something that has spiritually died. I see it as a spiritual word. So revival would be in the faith community, in the church, the church coming back alive. Reformation, and obviously the church has gone through reformations, but reformation for me always points to a cultural change. So the faith community impacting culture. And when I think of the reformation, of course, in the church, um, under Luther and Calvin, and then the the late reformers like Wesley, you always see an impact on the culture that um, as Christians are formed into the image of God, um, they actually begin to permeate the culture. And I think Reformation happens not when Christians have power control over the culture, but actually permeate the culture 
and be- become salt and light in the culture. So I'll dance on the edges here. It's not yeah. necessarily getting together, forming a coalition and getting a certain person elected. This is more about uh, those who are called to be elected in the office, you support, you pray for, you. There's nothing wrong with positioning someone for an office, but you're you're, you're believing that God's going to create some kind of a critical mass? Yeah, I think, I think, critical, critical, I think mass? critical mass is a beautiful word. And if you look at the early church, they didn't have power positions, but they had such great impact on the culture because they were living in the culture. They didn't they didn't create a church system that took them out of the culture. And I think that's part of the reformation that's happening now is we have a generation that wants to live their faith in their everyday life, not just be vocational ministers right. or revivalists, but they want to be reformers. Um, they want to be those children like Erica's recovered from very desperate situations and now graduate college and change their family structures and start something new, a new pattern uh, of behavior. That's reformation. It is. And you know, that's actually something I've been meditating. I've been teaching on reformation actually recently. And, and I, I thought, you know, it's got to apply the individual that, you know, we get revived, we get born again you know, the, the the death of our spirit revived, same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, you know. But then there's this sense of like, it's not just for that. Like, how can you not celebrate that? It's amazing being born again, but that is unto something. So what you're talking about is like each one of us, not only culturally, there's like a personal culture that needs to be reformed also as Christ is in us. Absolutely. And we have historical examples of that. I just, I've taken about the last five years, I studied John Wesley and his Reformation, just finished a paper on it for one of my classes that I'm taking. But what's so interesting is the the English culture um, during that time is a lot like our culture. It was post-Christian, it was post-church age. It was um, very deconstructed. Uh, Children weren't protected from labor laws or wasn't healthcare Mm. provision for the people at risk. Um, there was high levels of chemical addiction in the culture. Um, it, it was, it was kind of the wild west. Yeah, and and of course they had big, big problems like the enslavement of people groups and the mistreatment of of minority groups. And so we all can relate to those things. But it it wasn't a top down reformation. It was a bottom-up reformation. Yes. It was individual lives being changed. And so people got free from chemical addictions, became better fathers. Families became strong. They provided education for the poor and those that were underserved. And that raised them up. And it created a middle class that was not anywhere else available in the world. And it saved England, modern historians would say, from a revolution like happened in the rest of Europe. And I think that we're actually in that kind of a place where actually if we don't have a reformation, we will have a revolution. And I think we get to choose because as the people of God, we can help influence that conversation. So reformation is a bloodless revolution. Yeah, there you go. That's good. That's good language. Yeah. Anything you want to add to that, Erica? No, he's he's a theologian. (laughs) Yeah, but I think you have examples of people. I think an example is someone who's who you seem reformed. You're you're a reformer. Um. Well, I've been running on Likely Heroes, which is an anti-human trafficking organization, and we've gotten more than 450 children out of human trafficking. And our name is actually 
that if a child who gets recovered, if they want to use their voice to stop human trafficking, and I say if, because the whole point of seeing someone move into reformation is that it's their choice, you know? I want them to live out their freedom. That is the goal is to see someone live their highest truth, whatever that is, with God. And so— um, and then if these kids want to use their voice to stop human trafficking, that they would become the voices who end it. And so one of the girls that we recovered on our first trip to the Philippines, so that was in 2011, she was being trafficked out of what they called a pig pen. It was a tiny little room in the back of a bar with one slab of wood. Um, there was just one sink that all the girls had to just wash in between customers. It was a very, they, it was for pigs. They called it a pig pen. It was a very, very disgusting place to be. And she was 11 years old. We got her out of the brothel. Mm. She said that she felt like a stray animal having to sell her body just to eat a meal. And she went through our program. She was behind in school, which often happens after someone's been trafficked. And she was able to graduate high school. I got to be there at her high school graduation, and she gave the commencement speech. But this young woman, Princess is her name, and she goes into bars and she goes into brothels and she goes into jails. And she talks about how to make sure that you don't get stuck in human trafficking or in the Philippines, trafficked off to another country and what are some of the things you can do. But what I want to highlight here about Princess, who now is married to a worship leader at her church in the Philippines, and they just had a baby, um, which is just a huge success story in so many ways. But Princess is one of the sweetest young women, if she walked into the room, you wouldn't say she took the whole room over. And why I feel like that's important is that I think that we can have a picture of a reformer, of a bold personality, someone with a microphone. Princess is a young woman with a passion to make sure that no child is ever raped at eight years old the way that she was. And that passion in her is never going to die because that's the passion of a reformer. And so I feel like that that's what I look for in people, whether they're the children we recover out of human trafficking or if that's someone that I meet, you know, through a conference. I'm looking for those ones with that passion who say, no matter what, Mm. I want to leave this world a better place than I found it. Beautiful. Excellent. Yeah, and I and I think that, well, let me ask you this. Do you think right now with this move, you know, the, the gentle flowing of the Holy Spirit, the Asbury-like thing that's emerging, do you sense that's unto a reformation or is that just like a time of refreshing? I think it's an invitation to a reformation. Everything mm. depends on how we respond. And I think to a large extent, how the organized church responds because that generation's already made their choice. They want the presence of God. They want authenticity. I think um, we have an opportunity to to stand back and encourage that, or or we we could try to organize it or co opt it. And and I think that's where we we as leaders can step back and say, how can we contribute to the momentum that they've created? And and I think. You as a leader have experienced multiple moves of God and seen them ebb and flow. You probably have a good sense of how we could do that as leaders. But I'm excited to stand back and watch us as sort of a father of this generation to say, yes, like we cheer you on. We, we're hungry with you and we don't want to relive our glory days. We want to live with you the glory days that are in front of you and, yes. and make them ours too. 
Well, you know, we seem to find there's something, uh, even out of the Asbury situation, I could argue that it's been there before, obviously, but there's something powerful about the personal testimony. You know, of where I've come from, what God changed me. I think the Lord is going to use that. We've been talking about it on our staff, mm. using that in a powerful way going forward to motivate those that are not hungry or those that are beginning to be hungry. Yeah. Like, I want a story like that. I want my life to count for something, not just, you know, traveling around the road and kind of spending all my money or something like that. But I, I want to I want to invest in people, which are eternal. Yeah. And and what is my sector of that? Is it human trafficking? Is it, you know, what is it uh, government, what, uh, education? You know, yeah, I think you here? bring up a good point. Reformation, revival is personal first. If it's not personal, it's never going to be corporate yes. or cultural. And we see Paul leveraged his reformation. You know, he had the Damascus yes. Road experience. John Wesley had the experience of being snatched from the fire when he was five years old from his family house that was burning down. And and fire was a symbol all throughout his ministry. It became a metaphor for snatching people from the fire. And so I think our story still matters and it contributes to the story of what's happening now. And then I think this generation is going to start to live their story of reformation. And whether that turns into um, a shift in the culture depends on how pervasive that change becomes. Um, do we do we bring them into the church and circle the wagons or do we release them as salt and light? Wow. And I have a feeling <laughs> they're wow. not going to be reined in as, as <laughs> that easily. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the, you know, the Jesus movement. And uh, we've probably by now seen the movie Jesus revolution, which uh, I just heard has pulled in like $35 million wow. so far. It's become the second most successful for angel productions, you know, so it's, it's hitting a nerve. A good nerve. <laughs> it's kind of awakening people a little bit. But in the Jesus movement, you know, there was there was a need for for guidelines. There was a need for you know a little bit of structure. But it was more structure light. You know, let's let's it's it was it's more like a um, a balloon than a brick house, and a balloon that can be tied up into whatever little animal you want it to be. You know, it's this. It's it's the changing of air, and so in the in the Jesus movement, for the most part, I think that happened, and we could argue what kind of reformation came out of it. I think there was a greater sense of focus in worship, and a shift in worship, how we operate church. So we're we're very excited as pastors right now. We know we're on the edge of a of a shift, and we don't. I believe, at least from my perspective, we don't want to make a mistake. You know, we don't want to go down some dark alley and miss what God's wanting, but we're trying to make room for the Holy Spirit. Even in our worship, we pause now. We'll pause after a song, and I even say, you know, don't be uncomfortable with quiet. Let's just wait on the Lord, see what He wants to do, and allow entrance points. We know the Holy Spirit can overwhelm it anyway, but I think it speaks to our lives, though, that there's things that we just need to pause and allow God to move in it. And kind of, we don't want to get ahead of what the Lord's doing. So we're making room. His Holy Spirit, come and lead this thing. Show me we're spirit-led. Lead us in this thing. I would say that when I first started Unlikely Heroes, you know, I was 32 years old and I had this dream to stop human trafficking and build homes for kids that had been trapped in brothels and 
And it was a big dream. And, and I, I went to sleep one night and I had this dream and, and in the dream, God had given me this beautiful plot of land and it was like filled with green grass and this big Greyhound bus pulled up, pulled up with all these pastors inside. And I knew they were pastors cause they had on like Tommy Bahama shirts and they all had these like big cameras and they were, Sounds like stereotypes. they were all like taking pictures with these like cameras and they'd like gotten them out and they were so happy that God had given me this land. And I remember this feeling in me of, of, of loving the dream and being so encouraged by the people who are, and, and you were like one of the main people that encouraged me right out of the gates. How do, how can we help you build this? Without the Tommy Bahamas. Within the, of course not. You're much trendier, Steve. <laughs> but with that said, like, I remember thinking there's so much wisdom on that Greyhound bus. There's mm-hmm. so much wisdom from those pastors. And I wish they'd get out and show me how to build this, this house. Like they know how to put in the plumbing and they know how to put in the, the wood and they know how to make this house go so much faster. Yes. And I think that there's something that we need to approach differently where advice is not control. But if I get down into someone's, and I call them pain points. So if I'm meeting with a a leader from um, Asbury and I'm saying, what are your pain points? What are the places where you're really going to God saying, how do we handle this and what do we do? And some of the leaders can gather around and protect what God's doing. And that's different than controlling it or putting in limits. That's actually saying, these guys don't have the bandwidth to answer 52,000 questions. Let them go after that. And let some of us that are used to carrying more weight in some of those areas carry that weight. And I think that that's where the generations need to come together in this next season, where there's so many builders and pastors who have so much knowledge in church splits, in division. And you know what? People fight. They just fight. People are immature. How do we walk people through into greater levels of maturity, into handling situations with a little more grace and forgiveness? And I feel like when we start to come to the table with that heart of, I'm here to serve. How do I help you? God's clearly tagging you in this moment, but I'm going to come underneath you and ask you, are there any questions you have that I might be able to save you 10 years of pain and building that I had to go through? I think that's a place where we could really come together and grow and grow faster and grow better. So good. It's kind of a, you know, thing keeps coming to my mind. I've heard it said before is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob generation. You know, that's, it's all three generations, the father of nations, Isaac's laughter. I don't know what the hell that applies to, but, and then there's Jacob who became Israel prince, you know, so there's something about, the collaboration, the confluence of those three different groups, which could be baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, you know, if this comes together in a right way, and I feel it's been massaged a bit by the pandemic, yeah, where people are realizing, I got to think different. I, I've got to, you know, get my church on video and live stream, you know, and I, I mean, this has caused such a pivot for so many churches. Yeah, some didn't make the pivot, some did. And hopefully, it, you know, it worked for them. But honestly, we're still pivoting. I mean, we're still discovering what God, what this was all about, what God's intentions are, and what the what's the fruit that he's really looking for from this. Let me ask you a question. Uh, what do you see, you know, with what you're experiencing, you know, tangibly seeing people being touched like they were yesterday at our meetings here in Cleveland? What do you see in the near and distant future for the church and maybe even the country? 
Yeah, you know, it's a great question. And I, I have the great privilege of traveling in, into different cultures um, with different types of faith communities, different structures of faith communities. You used a really key word, I think that's important for us in this time. You used the word discovering or discovery. Because I think in the Western world, we're used to defining something and then building it. We, we look at a plan and then we execute. But we're now in a season not of definition, we're in a season of discovery. Yes. Definition has been wiped off the board. We have a new whiteboard now. <laughs> and now we get to discover what God is doing. Which is an adventure. Yeah, and Jesus didn't define what the church would look like. He said, behold, I go to prepare a place for you. And he didn't say what it looked like. He just said, it's a father's house. And why don't you keep following me and we'll figure it out. And I think that we in the Western world have to get more comfortable with language of discovery and ambiguity and adaptability. And, it, and it's, it's actually something this generation is really um, into because it requires a high level of creativity, a high level of humility. And um, that's, that's something that has, I think, been returning to the church. I think we're gonna see faith communities grow, uh, rise up that are much more creative, that are much more adaptable uh, to the culture. We're gonna see different expressions of the church, the mm. ecclesia. Um, and I don't think it's a it's an either or. I don't think God's doing away with the old. He's not destroying the Sunday morning gathering, but I think that there'll be things added alongside of it that are uh, both and. And, and, I'm, and I go back to Wesley again because I've been a student of his for, for the last several years. It's part of my Wesleyan roots growing up. I think he's a great uh, potential paradigm for where we're at right now in a 500-year cycle uh, that we're in right now, another 500-year cycle of Reformation. He never um, came against the Sunday gathering of the Anglican Church. He built alongside of it with field preaching, with Thursday night discipleship meetings, with class meetings, and then eventually Sunday school for the the underserved community. So I believe that there's expressions of church that will come alongside of what's already there and maybe even supplement it. But I think if the if the what we've known as the traditional expression of church um can tolerate new expressions, I think we can build something that's culturally transformative. You think that'll be regional? I mean, it's so hard to be local nowadays because of Social media. So, you know, now somebody does something that's kind of really cool. Everyone in the nation starts mimicking it, you know. So I'm wondering is like, you know, like at McDonald's, you know, you go to New England, they actually offer at certain times of the year lobster sandwiches, you know, at McDonald's. Yeah. You go down to Texas, they offer, you know, uh, Tex-Mex, uh, whatever that sandwich they have down there. So it's the same burger, but it's regionally adjusted in order for the taster cultures of the people there. Do you, is that something like you think the Holy Spirit's going to do, let's say, particularly in the United States, you know, where there'll be regional, like like in northern Georgia right now, the, the big thing is baptizing people, and they're getting hundreds of people into the kingdom, yeah, you know, beautiful. through baptisms. It's There's, beautiful. We know Toronto with laughter and joy, you know, and Brownsville with training and get out there, you know, and you get saved about eight or nine times during your time there yeah. in Brownsville. I, I, think, I think my... My take on that is and with every revival, we'll call that revival, there's there's a return to sort of our 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 sacraments, if you will. Baptism is a sacrament. And and that's 
and, and the Lord's Supper. Uh, that's another one that's being The renewed. non-negotiable. Yeah, and these are things that sometimes we've made rituals that actually should be part of our community. So I think these are little signs of returning to the roots of who we are and the meaning of that and, and, a, and a sacramental way of living that every day is holy, that my work is holy, that my service to other people is holy, that going to school and getting de- a degree is holy. Yes. That's sacramental. Um, and I think that's where revival leads to reformation is when holiness isn't just a worship service, but actually living my life every day is worship unto God. Do you just ever... Either of you ever kind of fantasize about church life, uh, say, 30 years from now? Like, uh, what's it? Because if Apostle Paul walked into a Sunday gathering right now, it'd be interesting to see the dynamic. You know, he would be like, I mean, he'd probably sense the spirit, but he'd be like, well, you know, what is this? You know, this is the ecclesia, you know, and really? Well, how did it get to be this? You know, I mean, it could be, I've done a lot of study of the first three centuries of Christianity, and it's pretty amazing. Uh, you know, they, it was very um, farm to table. I mean, it was just very organic. You know, someone sang a hymn. You know, they kind of mimicked a little bit after the synagogue, a little bit of the temple, pulled something together. But it was beautiful. And then eventually art came in and things like that. No buildings for the first three centuries. So, so you look at that, they had to be very innovative without facilities. And we know those of us planted churches that, if you don't have a building, it's like one of your first goals just because it's such a hassle, you know. So fantasizing about 30 years from now, what do you think walking into church will look will it look kind of like now or what's it going to be like? Well, I love to raise up young women and my heartbeat when I am talking with young women is to always say, what is God talking to you about? And what are the dreams you're dreaming with God for your life? And I really love to ask questions of of young people in my world that are just very plain and very simple and very direct, like teaching them how to have a personal conversation with God. And I feel like that those questions of like, God, I, I, I've laid my life down for you, but now I want to see what it would look like if you really showed up in my world. So when I dream about a church in 30 years, I dream about people who are mature lovers of Christ, who know how to hear His voice, who put Him first, who are willing to have open discourse and communication and even walk through difficulties because they're saying, Jesus, even on the other side of relational difficulties, there's a knowledge that I can gain in how to handle difficult situations with you even more. So my, I guess, mother's heart for church in 30 years would be mature believers who know how to walk personally with God. And I feel like that's the invitation right now. Whether or not you can make it to Asbury or you go to Georgia and get baptized, it's that place where we just stop when we're in our car. And maybe we're listening to a worship music, but we just say, Jesus— what do you want to talk about today? Jesus, what's one thing on your mind today? What's one thing on your heart? Because, you know, when you're friends with someone, sometimes they just want to talk about their thing. And so I feel like really inviting Jesus in to not just solve all our problems or, you know, give us the winning lottery ticket or, you know, swoop in with this big thing. It's like, no, you're my friend. 
And I want to know what you have to say. So that's what I dream about for tomorrow. So communication with God is not always unto something that you need to do. It's just conversation sometimes. It's unto knowing the greatest one I could ever have a conversation with. Yeah, beautiful. Love, that's beautiful. And, and, and really, that's, what, that's why Jesus came, so we can know God. You know, he came to put a face on God. Um, when I think about what I would aspire for the church to be like in 30 years, I thought about that. And I thought about a friend of mine, Greg. Greg's, Greg's a guy who has a guy for everything, right? He, he's got a car guy. He's got a plumber. He's got, and when I need something, who do I call? I call Greg. I don't call a plumber. He's the general I call contractor. Greg. He's, he's the guy. He has a guy for everything. And I think in 30 years, I want the church to be the guy mm. that people call when they need something. Like, be, I want us to be so connected to God, and then to be connected to others, that if the mayor of our town needs something, the first thing that is I think, I'm going to call the church. That, I'm going to call Greg because yeah. he's going to know somebody. He knows a guy. I want the church to know God so much that, and the, and the culture knows that we know God, that we're going to be the ones they call. Not because we're in control, but because they know we care. Mm. And, and I think that's a shift that, a fundamental shift that needs to happen. You know, there was a, there's a, a story in the Bible where the disciples cared about something. They, they wanted to protect Jesus. It was in Luke 9. The Samaritans were, were dissing Jesus because he was on his way to the temple in Jerusalem. And the Samaritans thought the temple was there in Samaria. And so the, James and John are there and they go like, if you want us to, we'll call down fire on yeah. them. We will destroy them for you. And it, and in their heart, they thought they were, they, they may have thought they were protecting Jesus, but Jesus really knew their motive. Their motive was they were protecting their own rights. Mm. They were protecting their own opinions. Mm. They were protecting their own beliefs about what true worship was. And I think that Jesus nailed them on it. He said, guys, you, you don't know what spirit you're from. Yes. Um, and so Jesus was the guy that could sit with a Samaritan woman at the well. Mm. Jesus was the guy who could start a three-day revival in Samaria uh, and not say, you have to go worship the way we worship. Just he wanted them to worship in spirit and truth. And I think that the church is coming to a place of engagement with the culture that we can stop trying to call down fire on them, mm. but we can actually sit down at the well That's and great. have a conversation with them. And bring a revival to the culture, like Jesus did in John three. So it's kind of a softer, kinder church, you know. That's that's not here to point out sins and disagreements and everything else, as much as love and connecting with people. Yeah, and that's the spirit. That's that's the Holy Spirit. That's the spirit filled life. That's the way it was from the beginning when the spirit of God hovered over chaos, darkness, and emptiness. He spoke into it and. It, transformed it. And we're still called to do that. Yes. Be transformative by the spirit. Well, I want to go to that church. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. too. <laughs> I want to be Greg. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. What a powerful thing it would be, you know. Uh, let me ask a final question here. Um, we're coming to a little bit of a close here. How, how, but I, you know, I mean, I want you to share openly though, what, what you're getting or what your thoughts are. We're in Cleveland, Ohio right now. This is where I was born and raised. And, um, Planted churches here and went off to Canada and came back and everything. We, we love Cleveland. Uh, not necessarily, the, I mean, the geography, it's beautiful, great parks here and all that kind of stuff. A lot of things to do, great food. 
But in the spiritual side of things, how is how is Cleveland a part of what is unfolding in your in your thoughts? Well, the heart of rock and roll is still beating in Cleveland. (laughs) We know that. (laughs) Rock and roll hall of fame's here. Yeah, no, I mean I'll share a couple of things I said last night and then Erica had some stuff that she was thinking about this morning. I think it's really relevant and it connects to it. But um Last night I pointed out the fact that one of the great revivalists is is buried here, right in this area of Ohio, um, and um, we know Charles that, Finney. Yeah, Charles Finney, and he was president of Oberlin College, and it's buried there. And 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 then there's a great cultural reformer, a guy I mentioned. His name is Charles Martin Hall. The two Charleses. Yeah, two Charleses. Isn't that Kinda interesting? Like the something two to that. There's something to that. Two Harriets. Yeah, something very interesting about that, which I'm sure you'll dig into. We need to find into. another Bob now. Yeah, right? maybe. Bob Johnson. Uh, so Charles Martin Hall was the guy who invented electrolysis, um, yeah. started Alcoa, and funded um, missions in China. Here in Cleveland. Yeah, it, and exactly. So um, I think that that's a sign that there's something in, in Ohio, and this is part of Ohio, that these bones of these revivalists and reformers can live again, you know, and that, and it'll form a nice army like the Ezekiel uh, passage about the dry bones. And I, and I think that is a, a sign that, that church revival and cultural reformation um, mm. are, are coming back in a great way. And I think that this area does have a key to play with. It's because of people that have sown, obviously, into the ground because God honors history. Uh, God does not forget the past, and that when the, that generational synergy happens, when the you know hearts of sons turn to fathers and fathers to sons, and I don't think that's just one generation, but that's a generationally understanding that we're connected, that it comes to a place of, of fullness. Um, but then any anything that's prophetic has to be practical too. And when we look at a practical aspect of that, is that 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 means that there's going to be great technology that's going to come out of this area. Um, there's going to be breakthroughs in the way that we do um, agriculture and farming. I really believe that this is going to be an area that's going to produce um, some of the solutions to world hunger and spiritual hunger around the world. Um, and Erica was sharing with me something about that she, it kind of goes back to the heart of rock and roll still beating. So I'll let her share it. I believe that there is a new sound on this earth. And I started to hear a few bands play this new sound in Los Angeles right before COVID broke out. And it was unique. And I believe that there is a new sound that is coming forward that is going to change music. It is going to change worship. It is going to be a heartbeat that awakens this next generation. And it is going to sound very different and very unique. And I believe that there are musicians who are going to come to Cleveland. The heart of rock and roll is in Cleveland. And just like musicians gathered in Seattle in the 1990s, I believe that musicians are going to begin to gather in Cleveland and that there's going to be a sound that erupts from Cleveland that sounds so different that it captivates the eyes and the heartbeat and the ears of a nation. And I believe that as musicians begin to gather in Cleveland, that they are going to begin to overflow the churches New sounds are going to come forward. New songs are going to be written. And the sound that is going to come out on the secular airwaves from Cleveland is going to shift the worship music that is taking place in this country. And it is going to be traced back its roots to Cleveland. And so I believe that this is going to be a place that starts to 
attract the young voice, the young sound, the young creative. And there's going to be something so unique and different that comes from Cleveland in this next season that people are going to have the word Cleveland on their lips across this nation. Wow. May it be so. Be it done unto us according and, and to your And let the word. Browns do really good, too. Mm-hmm. Now you're talking real miracles. <laughs> Clea's is in miracle there, C-L-E at the end. So go. <laughs> hey, uh, thank you for taking the time to be with us. And I hope that ministers and touches some people and really want to challenge you. I mean, get refreshed by this thing that's happening. I mean, find a church that is opening up to the power of the Spirit. Get under the spout where the glory pours out, as an old Pentecostal saying. Get the power of God upon you and then do something with it. Let the power of the Spirit not only change your will, maybe the things you thought you wanted to do, but change your will and also change your actions. That your life now is about, the word used there in the Greek is energy. That there'd be energy that would come from the Holy Spirit to enable you to reform and become a reformist. Become somebody who, who shifts things, changes things and makes it for the better Uh, Finally, just thank you for listening to the podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you, Bob and Erica, for a great time uh, talking. And God bless you. We'll see you next time.